I am Pastor Jeremy. You guys had a good morning this morning? Four or five of you did. That's great. Glad to hear that. Pray for the rest of you. Your day goes better. Um, we are going through the Psalms right now, and what we are doing here at Heights Christian Church is we've been going through the Bible in five years' time. We are over three and a half years through that. We're in year four right now. Pretty cool, huh? So that, that's pretty awesome. And this year has brought us to the Psalms, and, and we're going through the Psalms categorically. We're not necessarily going through 1 through 150. We're going categorically. If you're following along, this is your first time here. Uh, there are bookmarks up at the information desk. We would love for you to grab one of those bookmarks because it tells you what we're reading. Because what we do as a congregation together is we read six days a week together. And on the seventh day, on, on Sunday, when we come together, we preach from what we've read. So that's what we're doing. And so the psalms we're looking at this week are the penitential psalms. You know, growing up, and we're talking about, and growing up as, as a father, right? We're talking about Father's Day, right? So growing up and seeing, seeing my kids grow up, one of the things that I learned as a parent, many of you parents will understand this, is teaching your kids to say that they're sorry, right? I mean, they don't necessarily know to do that. They wanted the toy. They took the toy. They hit their brother upside the head with the toy because he wouldn't give it to them. And for them, that was fine. They got what they wanted. As a parent, we're wanting them to know that that's not what they're supposed to do, right? So we begin training them and talking to them about what it means to be sorry, to have a penitent, to have a repentant heart toward those things. And as parents, do you know when your kids are just walking through the motion? Some of you are shaking your heads yes. Some of you are not awake yet. I, I always did. As you could tell there was, there was, I'm sorry I hit you in the head. Right? I'm doing this because dad is making me do it. I don't really feel sorry with about it. I don't really care that you're hurting and bleeding right now. I just got caught. And right now I'm telling you that I'm sorry. So what do we do as parents if they're displaying that? No, you need to go back. We punish them. You need to go back to your room. You are punished until you come back and you mean this, right? Until this really means, until you realize you did something that was not right. Do you think it's good that your brother is crying? Yes. Then you need to go back to your room until that changes, Right? That you're going to be punished in such a way that, that it brings a repentant heart. Punishment is designed to bring a repentant heart. It's not designed just to torture for no reason. It's designed to teach, to bring a repentant heart, to turn them away from the things that they ought not be doing. Right? Growing up, how many of you watched Happy Days? Raise your hand. Okay, so... One of the people in Happy Days was the Fonz. You guys know that? Right? So, so you had the Hey, hey. The Fonz was the cool 50s biker dude, right? That he was what everybody wanted. Everybody wanted to be like the Fonz. Wanted to be as cool as he was. He was the coolest guy in town. Everybody looked up to him. But the Fonz had a problem. He was prideful, 
had a huge amount of hubris. And the one thing that he could not say is that I was... I was not... Those of you who have watched the television show, this is exactly what he did. What I'm trying to say is I'm... He couldn't say that he was wrong. He couldn't say that somebody else was right. And he couldn't say that he was sorry. They're fatal flaws, really. And a lot of times they would let him off to go, oh, Fonz, you don't have to say that you're sorry. Whoever said that saying I love you means never having to say you're sorry, that person's not getting into heaven. I'm just telling you that right now. There's nothing biblical about that. Because what we're, we're, we're talking about today in these penitential psalms is exactly that. It's learning how to say sorry the right way. That's what God is teaching us through these. And so if you've read all week, we've learned some things about that. However, it, it needs to be said, we need to do some groundwork before we dive into some of these psalms. Because the whole idea of repentance has to do with the understanding of sin. Sin is all through the Psalms that we read this week. And if we don't have an understanding of sin, we cannot repent correctly. You guys following what I'm saying? And the problem is this. We live in a world that is trying to redefine what this word actually is. And it does so at the detriment of being able to repent and come to God in the first place. It's dangerous. It's beyond dangerous. Because the first thing we have to understand is this. As believers in Christ, God defines what sin is. All sin. He isn't asking for your opinion. He isn't asking for a vote to find out if it passes through committee to say, yeah, we'll we'll take this as what sin is. God defines what sin is. All sin. If he doesn't define what sin is, what are you repenting of? Do you get what I'm saying? If things can change and change dramatically concerning the word sin then repentance loses all meaning. Because what was sin three years ago might not be sin three years from now. What was sin a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, four thousand years ago, might not be sin now. And at that point, what's the purpose or even the use of repenting if if the definition of sin is going to change by the whims of man? God has to define all sin. As a matter of fact, I believe when we look through the Scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, when he talks of repentance, oftentimes it's connected with this idea that there's specific things, sins, that God has definitely defined that they have walked away from that is causing them to have to turn back to say, I was wrong. If God doesn't have a definite definition of what sin is, we're toast. We're toast, because all of these things that I'm about to read to you would make no sense. So let's look at a number of scriptures. I am really 
my pro presenter people back there probably hate me, but that's okay. Because we're going to go through. You guys are going to say, well, what did you learn? What, how did Pastor Jeremy preach today? He didn't. He just read the Bible a whole lot today. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter what I think sin is, right? It only matters what God says. So let's find out what he says. And this is a sampling. It's just a small sampling. I'm not even joking. Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. There's judgment about to come on the people of Israel. In this case, when you read the context, they were trusting in Egypt and the chariots of Egypt to save them instead of trusting in God. And God said, no, you want rest? You want peace? It's through repentance. It's turning away from where where you're at. You're supposed to be with me, not with them. Isaiah 59, 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. Again, who repent of their sins. Sins have to be something definite that they're repenting from, right? That they're turning away from. Jeremiah 5, 3 through 6 says this, O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. And I thought, these are only the poor. They're foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I'll go to their leaders, and I will speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke. And torn off the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will ravage them. A leopard will lie in wait near their towns to tear to pieces any who venture out. For their rebellion is great and their backslidings many. And so what we have here is an appeal. Because Jeremiah is all about the judgment of God as a king of Babylon is going to come against Jerusalem and cause this crushing defeat because of the rebellion of the people. And so what we see here in this passage of Scripture, as he says, I'm calling them to repentance, but they haven't. And I thought, oh, they're just poor people. So the poor people, they, they just don't know the requirements of their God. They're too, they're too poor and destitute to really care about God. Let's go to the leaders of the people. And even then, didn't care about what the Word of God said. And it was going to bring judgment. Jeremiah is filled with judgment. Jeremiah 8, 6, I've listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. No one repents of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Each pursues his own course like a horse charging into battle. Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, if you repent... I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. Jeremiah 18, 8. If that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. If we go down to Ezekiel, we see the same thing with Ezekiel chapter 18. He says, Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord, repent, 
Turn away from all of your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. See, the people of Israel had a covenant relationship with God. We've been reading about that. And their covenant relationship was tied directly to the land that they lived in and the blessings that they received from that land that God had promised them. That ultimately were going to be given through Jesus Christ. They were given the land so that they might have a heritage that would last forever and that would come through Jesus. But when they were kicked out of the land and when the enemy came and oppressed them, God was very quick to remind them that most of the time, what happened during all of those times, I'm going back to my covenant that says, if you follow me, if you do the things that I commanded you, then you're going to live. But you have broken that and broken our covenant, and therefore I'm enforcing our covenant. And all of these curses are upon you. Why is all of this important? Because we live in a day and age where we want to redefine sin too. And redefining sin does not lead to repentance that leads to life. As a matter of fact, that's why I read these verses right here. It's the exact same heart problem that Israel had. Nobody says, what have I done? What wicked thing have I done? They keep doing what they want to do. Saying there's nothing wrong with it. We in our society today are doing two terrible things. Number one, we're redefining sin into something that God doesn't want redefined and saying that it's not sin anymore. We're in the middle of a month that is trying to celebrate a wickedness that God denounces both Old and New Testament. Reveling in it. And this didn't exist five, ten years ago as a national thing. But we're doing it now, and there's, there's this fear among us as believers right now to say anything about it because we'd be seen as saying something bad. But I'm telling you, if we don't care for those who are stuck in this, this backwards lifestyle, redefining sin, those people who need Jesus will never find him. Because they'll never know what they have to repent of. Because they've redefined sin to be something that God never asked to be redefined. See, God is the one who defines sin. Not me, not you, not my life choices, not our culture. God could care less about the culture. He wants to create a godly culture. He really does. And he wants everybody to be a part of that. But the only way to be led to repentance is to acknowledge what sin truly is. And it doesn't matter because all the examples we've looked at so far, Old Testament, let's look at the New Testament. We're going to see the exact same thing. Luke 13, verses 3 and verses 5. I tell you no, this is words of Jesus, but unless you repent, you too will all perish, right? And then, of course, verse 4, the middle. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
This idea of repentance by Jesus is talking, you know, we want to say that Jesus is a God of love and Jesus loves everybody. He's telling them right now, unless they repent, turn away from their sins, recognize who he is, they will perish apart from him. Luke 24. Good news of Jesus Christ. And he told them, starting in verse 46, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and will rise from the dead and the third, uh, on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. Do you get that? Repentance and forgiveness from sins through Jesus, our Lord. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's not done without repentance. Acts 2.38, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. And when the Holy Spirit comes down, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, he shares what Jesus has done, that they crucified Christ on the cross. What does he say to them when they were cut to the, when they were cut to the core? When Peter replied, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come to the Lord. And why? Why all of this? Second Peter 3.9 tells us, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Talking about the day of judgment. When is his coming? When is this promise of his coming? He's supposed to be coming back to judge the world and bring us into glory, right? Why is he delaying? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And what's the result of those who don't repent? We look in Revelation chapter 16. At this point, the church has been taken up, and we're seeing the bowls of wrath on everybody else who's left. I want you to look at their attitudes. I want you to see what's happening with them. Verses 9, 10, and 11, it says they were seared by intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. See, if we're not repentant, this is the result. Whether I'm looking Old Testament, whether I'm looking New Testament, whether the words of Jesus under the New Covenant or the words of God the Father to the people of Israel in the Old Covenant, the same thing is, applies, right? Without repentance, we have judgment. Bad things are going to happen to us. And God is the one who gets to define what sin is. And the reason I take you through the Word of God, because my Word means nothing, right? 
If it's just me up here saying what I want to say, that's one thing. I still fall under that same category. I have to acknowledge what sin is, even when I fall into it and fall short. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark that God is wanting. And he has given us, through his word, very clear teaching of where we fall short. And without repentance, we will not have life. So why the penitential psalms? Well, we need to look at what sin does to us. We absolutely do. Because if we don't look at what sin actually does to us, and we don't take a look at that, we don't realize what it is that Jesus really provides for you and me, what he truly saves us for, from, and why that, that is so important. Second thing I want to say is the first thing is God defines what sin is, all sin. He doesn't really, he's not here taking a poll. He's the one who defines it. He's the one who says this is where you have fallen short. You and I don't have the, you, don't, you and I don't have the capability to redefine it. We may try to redefine it. Society might try to redefine it. We may do it to hide what our sin is, but it's still sin because God's definition doesn't change. Second thing is this. Sin causes an awful toll on our souls. If you guys read this week, I really hope that you guys did. I, I want you to consider what is mentioned in these passages of Scripture. We're going to look at some of them together. So turn with me in, in your Bible, Psalm 6. We're going to look at that real quick. We're going to look at a number of these, but I just want you to hear, because it's not just in one of them, it's in almost all of them that you see the same theme work itself out. Psalm 6, verses 2 through 7. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he's dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night I long and flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Psalm 38, verses 1 through 8. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me. And your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Psalm 102, verses 3 through 11. For my days vanish like smoke. 
My bones burn like growing ember, like glowing embers. My heart is high, is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food because of my loud groaning. I'm reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I've become like a, a bird, all alone on the roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse, for I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, you have taken me up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Do you hear the effect of sin on the life of the psalmist? Because of the folly of my sin, I, I'm just, I'm crying out to God. I'm, I'm weeping. I, I cannot stand before God because of what I've done. Have any of you ever felt that before? Just the graveness of what you have done, and there's no one to blame. You're not trying to pass it off on anybody else. It's just you. You know you did this. You know you did this on your own. You know you did this of your own accord. You know that it separates you, and you know That deep down, God is not pleased. God is not pleased. This is what sin does to us. This is an honest accounting of what sin actually does for a heart that is tender toward the mercies of God. It's hard. It's hard. I've been there. I I know it. I relate. I remember crying out to God. I still do. Because of my sin. No candy coating. No justification. No, this is just the way that I am. My sin. He has a standard. I broke it. And because of it, I've become his enemy. And I weep because my sin is what put Jesus on that cross. That should be our attitude. It should be anguish of the soul. Not a flippant, God will forgive me. Really? That's why these are so important psalms. Because the attitude that is there should be our attitude. It should crush us. Not unto hopelessness, but unto seeking Him out in His mercy and His grace. Because here's something I want to tell you guys. Number three. If number one is God gets to define what sin is, all sin. Number two, sin causes an awful toll on our souls. Number three is this, everyone sins. Anybody in here who has this strange idea that Christians never sin, you're so wrong. So wrong. And Christians, unfortunately, in our American culture, for too long, we try to play up to that, don't we? Altar call comes down, nobody comes down to confess. We just don't even though everybody sins. You sin and I sin because we, we, we are not taking it as seriously. It's not broken us. Maybe like it used to. Maybe like it should. 
Psalm 143, the last psalm that we read this week, and it's a psalm of David. Listen, listen to his heart's cry. Oh, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen for, to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. See, David knew... David knew the same thing. Don't be looking at me like you're holier than me. David knew the exact same thing. Nobody is righteous before God. All of our righteousness, as Isaiah says, is as filthy rags before him. We read the same thing in Romans chapter 3. It didn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. We see the exact same thing. So we look in Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. The whole world, not just the Jews. Notice that. The law that tells the standard of God, that tells what sin is, isn't just for the Jews. It's for the whole world. So that we all know that we're under the rightful judgment of God. To be held accountable. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in, the, in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, the law helps us define what sin is so that we know that we've broken God's law, that we're deserving of that rightful wrath of God. And you've done it, and I've done it. And if you've became a believer in Christ, you still do it. I'm sorry, it's just the truth. There's not a single soul in here who's claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior who has not sinned since they've come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not a single person. I mean, I hope we get better, right? I hope we're doing better than we we did before. But the truth of the matter is, you still sin, I still sin. I wish I didn't. It should wreck us when we do because of the one who died for you and me. But we become flippant in all of that. I think it's a dangerous place for us to be. But it leads us to number four. Because we already know we can't, everybody sins, nobody's righteous, right? So number four is this, we do not rely upon our righteousness to save us, but God's through Jesus. Go back and look at Psalm 143, that same psalm where he says, everybody sins. It's just an amazing statement, right? Verses 11 and 12 say this, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies, destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. If you look at the middle of the psalm, he says, look, I look to you, I follow you, I want to do everything that you want me to do. I'm trying to obey you in all things. But here at the end of this psalm, he's already declared himself unrighteous before the throne. He says, I am looking to you for all things. And what he holds to at the end is not his righteousness. Look, I'm looking to you. Look how great I am, God. Look at me. I'm trying to make up for all that I did do before. We all fall short, so now I'm going to do the work and work even harder so that I can be righteous before you. That's not what he says at all. He says, I look to you. I want to follow you. But you know what? 
For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Not mine. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies, destroy my foes, for I am your servant. He's not depending on himself to save him, to justify himself before God. And the same is true for you and me. Look at that same passage in Romans that we just started in just a moment ago. Romans chapter 3. We're just going to continue on to the very next verse in 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Guess what? You and I, we stand before the throne of God, it's not going to be us saying, look at all we did for you. It's still going to be, look at what all you did for me. Because of what Jesus did for me. And because of what Jesus did for me, I have a righteousness of God. Not because I am righteous, I still sin. I wish I didn't. But my righteousness isn't going to be made by my works before the throne. If my works weren't enough to save me before Jesus came, they're sure not enough to keep me saved after I have come to know Jesus Christ. It's Him who holds me and Him who preserves me. It's got to be that, according to his will, because he's already taken the punishment, the rightful punishment that should have been mine on the cross, not just for the sins up to the point of when I confessed, but all of my sins. It's important. So what about the repentance for a believer? Because that's what all these psalms are about. These psalms are, are about... David or others crying out to God because of individual or corporate or national sin that's been taking place. They've been punished and they feel that punishment. And they recognize that they were the ones who did wrong and they need the mercy of God. And you know what? We see repentance. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do the things that you've asked me to, I'm going to rely upon your righteousness to get me out of this because I'm relying upon you now, Lord. Not myself. How does that work out for you and me? How many of you, other than myself, struggle with sin? Raise your hand. Right here. You're going to struggle with sin till the day you die. And, and the unfortunate thing is this. For so many people, and, and I, I mention this sincerely, for so many people who struggle with sin, that struggle with sin can be very, very defeating. You and I can mess up again and again and again and again. We're destined to. I'm sorry, I hate to tell you that. 
But until Jesus comes back, takes us with him, and rips apart all of that which he died for, apart from us, we are still going to struggle with it. And it makes it hard, doesn't it? Because the accuser of our souls then wants to use every one of those things to hinder us from coming to know Jesus, from coming back into repentance, to coming back into fellowship with all these other sinners who somehow we put in our mind, well, they're too holy for that. I can't go back into that group of people again. And have you ever felt that before? Come on. Seriously? None of you ever have. Because I know I have, and I'm a pastor, so if I have, there better be other people raising their hands here. Screw up so bad during the week, and you're like, man, I, I can't even face anybody. As if they're holier than you. They're dependent upon the same grace of Jesus Christ that you are. This is why so many people give up and redefine sin because it's just easier. I can redefine sin to my own liking so I don't have to repent because I'm tired of the fight. And it just wages war on their soul. And they have no peace. Not the peace that God wants them to have. Some amazing things to look at, to encourage you today, sincerely. Number five is this. So we need to repent. And repent often, knowing that the grace of God is there. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 4 real quick. It says this, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Guess what? Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. We live in a fallen world. We have a fallen culture. We're all around things, around people who wish to redefine things for us about God's word and the way that he wants us to live. Jesus acknowledges that to every single person. Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Be careful what you promote. Be careful what you promote. That's not my warning. This is Jesus' warning. You start redefining sin at your own peril and other people that you're going to affect. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. This is such an important passage and I don't think we we look at it very often, honestly. Do you see what Jesus said? Number one, there's a warning against sin, very hard on sin. The redefinition of sin, the promotion of sin, as if it's okay. I don't have the right to do that. You will never hear this from this pulpit. I don't care how politically correct it might be. Because there's a warning right there that says, if I lead you into sin by redefining it, that judgment is worse for me. I don't want to be a false teacher. But afterwards he says this. If your brother sins, a believer, fellow believer in Jesus Christ, your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And here's the hard part. If he does it seven times in one day. Dude, you talk about bad days? 
That's a bad day. That's a bad day. Guess what? As Christians, you're going to have bad days. I'm not excusing your sin. But you're going to have a bad day. And you're going to run back to sin that seems so good at that time, and you know it does nothing for your soul. And afterwards, you're going to be like, oh, why did I do that? How many of you have ever done that before? You just ran back to what seems so comfortable, right? And after you ran back for something so comfortable, it's almost immediate. Like the regret is right there. Like, why did I do that? I know there's no life in that. Why, why did I go back to this old way? I know this is not what Jesus wants for my life. And Jesus said, you know what? You rebuke somebody who's like that. And if they repent, you forgive them. If they do it seven times in a day, you forgive them. Guys, on this Father's Day, it's where really being a parent, your kids have bad days, and as parents, you have to deal with those bad days. Don't you? Don't you? It's totally true. It's like they had a bad day. They didn't just hit their brother with the, with the car. They wanted to break his arm. They wanted to sell him off to other people in Egypt. You know, different normal things, right, that happen. I, eBay for my brother, you know, boom. There are some days where you're just like, oh, I've had whole seasons with my kids where I felt like we went to life group. The Greens will tell you this. We went to life groups within like three months of just correction after correction after correction after correction after correction. Like, dang it. Get it right. Oh, I think God has given us a grace in parenting. Isn't that what he thinks about us? And he sent Jesus anyway for you and me. He loves us just the same. But we can't excuse the sin. But we know that he's there. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Guys, we've got to be a confessing church. Can I just tell you something right now? You want liberation from this, this painful separation from God that happens when you and I sin. That closeness that no longer feels there. It comes through confession. We don't confess anymore. You think about it. We really don't. How many of you really talk about your sin and your struggles? We don't. Just keep it quiet. Become more privatized. Because we can listen to a preacher on the internet. Right? To get our righteousness from. We don't really need that, that other. But that goes against what the Word of God says. Look at James. James chapter 5. Man. Verses 13 through 16. Is any one of you in trouble? <laughs> he should pray. <laughs> oh, yeah, he should. Right? You in trouble? <laughs> That's one thing. I don't even think this needs to be in the Scripture. Because, honestly, when we're in trouble, what's the first thing we do? I mean, you heard Mark yell out, Gah! I'm not doing that. Okay? But you heard that last week when he was like, Ah! Okay? If you're in trouble, what do you do? We pray. We just naturally run to that, right? If anyone's happy, let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offer in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Not to God. Notice it doesn't say to God. To each other. And pray for each other. 
so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Why does, why does God in his word say we should confess to each other and pray for each other? I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, it reminds us that we're all in the same boat. We're all still sinners saved by the same grace of Jesus Christ that all of us are dependent upon. There needs to be a humility to you and me to easily state, I struggled with this this week. Can you help me and pray for me? But we don't do that by and large as a body. And we wonder why we go through so many problems alone. Because we don't confess as God asks us to. I need help with pride. I need help with porn. I need help with my marriage. I I can tell you something. With the invention of the internet... Mark and I see less of you than ever. Nobody comes and talks about their problems because we can just Google it. And let me tell you something, Googling it, I don't know that you're going to get the same answers that me and Mark who know you, who love you, who care about you who want to lead you to Christ, who have our own problems. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we're called to confess, and we're called to come as a broken, humbled people together. But we don't humble ourselves anymore. And that haughtiness leads us into further sin, which leads only to judgment. And God doesn't want that for your life or my life. That's why when David was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. He's like, against you alone, I have sinned. What you want, oh God, you don't want offering. What you want is a broken and contrite spirit. That's what you will accept. And confession does that for us. It breaks us of this idea that somehow we're better than everybody else. If we had a confessing church to one another in our life groups, in our churches, where we sat with one another and didn't excuse our sin, But we humbled ourselves and entrusted one another with our confession of sin. How different would the world see the church? How different would they understand the grace of Jesus Christ? The freedom that he brings from the struggle that every single one of us deals with. Repentance is part of the daily life of the Christian. It really is. I can't tell you the nasty things that fly through my head. And I don't have to. You know why? Because you're just like me. And none of us are righteous before God. But I thank God that he sent Jesus for your sin and for my sin to give me real hope. And all who put their faith and trust in In him, they'll be saved. But it takes repentance. It takes an acknowledgement that we're sinners. It takes a turning away and a continual turning away. Because we fall, but I'm not standing on my righteousness. I'm standing on his. Because when I stand before the throne of God, just like you, all of you who profess Christ, you're not standing on your works. Your works condemn you. Christ's work is what justifies you. We need repentance in our life. We really do. Because God, just like that father, oh, can't you guys just get it? But he loves us anyway.
There should be huge comfort in that. Let's not be afraid to be a broken people. Would you stand with me? Does God get to define sin in your life? Tell you what sin is, not the culture, not your personal preferences. Does sin cause you sorrow? A struggle on the inside? Do you recognize that everybody in this room is in that same position, that everybody sins? That we don't have a righteousness of our own, but our only right response in coming to Jesus for the first time or coming to Jesus for the thousandth time is a repentance from those things that we know that we're not measuring up with. Let's be bold enough to be a confessing people. Talk for real in your life groups. Share for real your struggles with one another, brother and sister in Christ. Talk about what you need to be held accountable for. You're not looking at the people who've got it all together. You're looking at the people who realize that they need Jesus just like you do. God, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for our fathers who are here, the ones who are not here today. Pray that we honor them well. I pray I honor my dad later on as I give him a call. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, Lord. You are so good. You're so good. You sent your son Jesus to die for us. Help us acknowledge our sin. Help us be wrecked by it. Because we want to seek you out and be more and more like Christ in our lives. Help us not to hide those things from one another. There's nobody better than anybody else in this place. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Oh, thank you for your mercy your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. Seven times in a day, 70 times seven, more than I can count, oh Lord. I have relied upon you when I have fallen short. Nothing I can do can ever make up for it. And I thank you for the grace of Jesus on the cross. If there are any who do not know the freedom that that gives, I pray that they would today. And God, if there's any who are here struggling, May we be just be a confessing people, Lord. Encouraging one another in our walk with Jesus Christ. Praying for one another, O oh Lord. That we would see you transform our lives to look more and more. To be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So the world can see Jesus in all of us. We just thank you this Father's Day, Lord. That you are the perfect Heavenly Father. Who sent your son and asks us to repent. And you're there with arms wide open. Praise your name for that, Lord. Let us revel in that truth and that peace that only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anything that you guys need to pray for, we're here to pray for you. Our elders are up front. We're not better than you. We've just spent an entire sermon telling you that. we got our own struggles. Come and pray. May God bless you this Father's Day. You guys have a great day. Go out. Live free. Confess. Love Jesus. In his name. Amen.